this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. So Jay, this week we're going to be doing a requested review by uh, Crawford Blair. He suggested we check out this album, Carnival Art, by, uh, excuse me, the name of the album is Thumb Drone. Thrum Drone. Thrum Drone by Carnival Art. Uh, But before we go into that, Jay, we need to to just talk about something that happened. What um, did I do? Well, it's not you specifically. No. uh, Passing a Scott Weiland. Kind of a pretty big deal for our podcast. You know, Scott was in a band, Stortopo Pilots, that wasn't one that we were going to cover necessarily on this because we don't cover in terms of reviewing albums or that sort of thing. We weren't going to do a Stone Temple Pilots album. Same way we're not going to do a Pearl Jam album or a Soundgarden because those are the huge yeah. bands of that era. But his impact on not only the 90s but going forward is pretty sure. um, remarkable. And, I, you know, looking back on his career, I was struck by the diversity of what he did and his willingness to jump outside of what was a pretty, you know, solid gig with Stone Temple Pilots. You know, he did the um, the solo album, uh, 12 Bar Blues in the late 90s, and then he mm-hmm. did another one um, in the 2000s. Uh, he did uh, that song for the Tank Girl soundtrack, Mockingbird Girl with the Magnificent Bastards, which was supposed to kind of be something, you know, I don't know why it never developed into anything, but a lot of different yeah. sounds and and you know in reading his book which was not the best you know rock autobiography i've ever read the influences that played on his songwriting and and lyricism is you know a little bit different than what people probably perceived when it was happening in the 90s you know they were kind of a grunge clone for the core album and they had to kind of separate themselves yeah well they, and they came up uh what twice this past season in, in interviews, both the uh, yep. Jay Robbins and was it Local H, the second one. Yep. They came up. So, you know, they're going to be part of the, the show here and there just because they're such a big band, like a, a lot of other bands are that you mentioned that we're never going to review, but, you know, they're going to come in the periphery. I think what was really interesting for me was when we look back at his work was to go back to the core album and just look at the videos for that record and the live performance uh, stuff that exists around mm-hmm. that record. And they were just such a different band. I mean, especially him. I mean, he looked so different. Right. Um, he, he seemed, I don't know, bigger. Uh, he seemed like he lost a lot of weight. Maybe he wasn't uh, as far down the addiction path yet. Right. Um, he just he had a different stage demeanor. He dressed different. His hair was different. I mean, he was a bit of a chameleon, but he sort of... Um, I think a couple of years in, you know, consistently you could kind of, you know, at least recognize him, but he looks so different there. And just the sound of the band was so, you know, very much in the grunge mold. Um, but they did it really, I thought it felt like, you know, the album holds up pretty well. Right. I mean, although I'm fairly sick of the songs, uh, you know, they're pretty well done. And then that band went on to do, you know, a pretty wide range of styles you know and then within his solo stuff he went in various different directions but can't say that i was surprised or probably you were surprised or most people were surprised that it happened in some ways it 
I think maybe a lot of us expected it to happen much sooner than it did, unfortunately. Yeah. And for, it, it was weird only because I was following him on Instagram because he was on out on tour mm, with yeah. the Wildabouts. And I was just, you know, keeping updates on that. And um, I think I even remarked to Katie, my wife, uh, well, you know, during break while we were driving um, somewhere to visit somebody, I'd thought about reaching out and just throwing it out there and see if he would do an interview for the show. Mm. And, uh, you know, it was like the next day that it was, that, yeah. it, that came across. The, so the, the performances that surfaced on that tour were just so disturbing. I mean, yeah. just a guy that was just obliterated out of his mind, you know, and still trying to make excuses, you know, what was going on. And, you know, I think him or his band or somebody, you know, that's, he couldn't hear his his in ears weren't working. You're like, come on, like, <laughs> stop protecting. You know, why are you doing this? Why are you helping this guy? Right. There's way too many stories like this in rock and roll, but it's it's just part of it, um, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. But I, you know, it's at this point, it's about the legacy and about the work that's left behind. And I did you see that, that thing that Stone Temple Pilots did where they? They also they did that little video where they sat down and um, kind of went through the mix of um, a song called Atlanta. Yeah, I, it's, I think it's on the number four album. Okay, that I thought that was really a cool thing to do. Like it just, I don't know, it, it just set aside all of the bullshit that that I'm sure that band's been through, and mm-hmm. they were able to kind of just play with the mix and really, I think, showcase how good of a singer he was. You know, so haven't seen it i would definitely recommend doing a search on that yeah and and go back and check out you know i think that tiny music is the album where they lost a lot of fans because they went into a bit of a different direction but i i feel like out of all the albums that one stands out as the one that's the most re-listenable in terms of its diverseness and and taking chances and really writing some interesting stuff and the DeLeo brothers are just such good musicians you know Mm -hmm. between the guitar and bass stuff that's going on in all the records but that record especially is the one where i i absolutely like loved purple but tiny music sort of made me go oh this is this is just a really good band like they can write in any style Mm -hmm. of rock music whether they're showing their grunge influences at the beginning or taking it in a whole different direction with like Red Cross inspired power pop and Zeppelin riffing and all sorts of odd twists and turns. And that's the one I would, the other stuff, I mean, they put out some good albums after that, but I didn't feel that they were as consistent as, as tiny music or purple for that matter. So, so I, somebody commented on our Facebook page if we were going to talk about it. So I definitely felt like, you know, it's pretty relevant to us to start out the 2016 season by talking about what happened at the end of 2015. So, and uh, some other things we should talk about besides the fact that Crawford Blair uh, suggested this album by Carnival Art. He also previously suggested the Cardiacs album. So, okay, uh, it's a it's a fair um, second follow up considering the craziness that was the Cardiacs. Mm. There is a little bit of craziness on this record as well. Um, but we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. Uh, 
for uh, 2016. We've kicked off our Patreon campaign to uh, support the cod- podcast, and um, they are uh, Scott Russell Hallgram and Steve Muzinski. They have generously joined us on our uh, monthly campaign to uh, fund the podcast. Scott's actually uh, joined us at the 250 level, so he'll be picking an album at the end of the year for the 2017 season. He's, he's a very patient man. To uh, oh, but right away they're uh, they're helping us pick the the next review we're doing. So yep, that's true. We're uh, doing a David Bowie record and debating which '90s release to do, and we're gonna use our board of directors on Patreon to help us do that. So that's true, and they've right both away. chimed in with their picks. So uh, if uh, you got a short window of time, if you want to get in and vote for your David Bowie album of the '90s, otherwise uh, we're gonna be making the final decision on what that album's gonna be based on the votes we've got so far but we'll continue to do that with the picks that we make too so Mm -hmm. i mean unless we've got a really strong opinion on the one we want to go with there's a lot of artists that we want to review from the 90s oh sure that i think we we just kind (laughs) of reach into our pocket and pull an album out for whatever reason it's almost arbitrary um in some ways um so we'll definitely be using the patreon group to help us make those decisions and others so i i Guaranteeing that's going to be happening because there's a Suede album coming out soon, and Suede put out a number of mm. albums in the '90s. So there's pretty much can guarantee that there will be a uh, a vote coming up at the Patreon page for that. We should talk a bit about our uh, album that we're doing this week. Crawford said a few words about this record when he suggested it to us. He said uh, this time around. I'd like you to look at an album that came out in 91 by Carnival Art from Los Angeles. It's called Thrum Drone. I grew up in Scotland, and Carnival Art got signed to a Brit label called Situation 2, and I bought this record at the ta- at the time as there had been a fair push in advertising of the record. They had the same initial profile as somebody like Buffalo Tom did here in the UK. Hmm. And now here's the, here's the interesting tie-in for this record. On a side note, Weezer member Brian Bell was the bass player in this band, and I'm sure the guitarist was in an early incarnation of Jane's Addiction. Hmm. So you have two big connections there, Jane's Addiction and Weezer. So anyway, I still think it's a pretty great record, albeit an almost totally forgotten one. Very much an alternative 90s kind of release, drawing initial influence from the Pixies and such like. However, there's a fair dollop of pre-Americana rootsiness woven in with the music and really quite nimble rhythm section that even brings a bit of new wave feel to some of the tracks. There's even a really rather nuts cover version of Octopus by Sid Barrett of Pink Floyd. It's also quite varied for a then modern alt record, alt rock record, which I think is how it retains some of its charm for me. So that's Crawford's input on this record. And just to fill in some of the blanks from what he said, he covered the history of the band pretty solidly there. There, they formed in ninety, or excuse me, in eighty nine. The original lead singer was Michael P. Tack. Ed was on bass from 89 to 90. He switched to guitar in 90, and that's when Brian Bell came in to play bass in in 90. And the original uh, guitarist, Shane Paul Rohde, was booted, I guess, or left the band. And Keith Fallis was the drums, and he also sang. They put out three albums. The first one in 89, Like Nobody's Business, was a vinyl-only release. And then Thrum Drone came out in 91. And Welcome to Vas Lagos 
1992. Yes, I'm, that was not dyslexic. That's how they spelled it. Instead of Las Vegas, it was Vast Vegas. They also put out a number of EPs and singles. And uh, in the intro for this episode, you heard the single, uh, it was the second single, Hammer and Nails, was the uh, second single released for this album. So we got some Patreon feedback. If you want to leave feedback for these episodes, join us over at Patreon. Steve Musinski says, The King Crimson reminiscent album art had me excited, but the music had me scratching my head. I agree with the all-music bio about this band being caught in limbo as far as their sound goes. Maybe you guys can point out something I'm not getting, but my immediate opinion was thumbs down. So... What he's referencing, if you go to allmusic.com, you can read the bio on this band. They're talking about the the influences. They're they're kind of all over the place. You know, they cover a Sid Barrett era Pink Floyd song. We've already mentioned Pixies being an influence. Jane's Addiction member. So you got a, you got quite a bit of new wave was also brought up. You got some art arty rock influences. You got some more straightforward rock influences. We'll talk about that. Let's talk about this album, Jay. Mm-hmm. Thrum Drone by Carnival Art. It's a weird one, Jay. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna tell you my one thing about this record that I like, though. Mm-hmm. I like the diversity. It goes overboard on, at certain points. Yeah. But I do think there is a pretty solid base of songwriting in this band. Um, I think it's front loaded at the front of the beginning of the record. You get into songs like uh, "Little Door Prize," "Hammer and Nails," "Wrestling Swamis." Those are all really solid alt rock songs. And they have good choruses. And I think that that's where, um, and I'll get into a bit later, but the chorus isn't just about repeating a bunch of words over and over again. It's about a unique melody that you can remember. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those songs are where they have the strongest vocal melodies in the choruses. Crawford mentioned about the rhythm section. They do have a really strong and nimble rhythm section as well. That's a, a 1A. I think that the rhythm section, bass player and drummer, do a lot more interesting things, uh, and that's Brian Bell on bass, um, than what the guitar player is doing a lot of times, because I feel like the guitar player is either bouncing between like really bizarre, atonal, like, arty rock stuff, and then some like pretty basic riffing that yeah. uh, almost sounded like it could have... Some of these songs sounded like they could have been on um, 80s uh, B or C-level metal band uh, you know, albums. So, but yeah. to me, uh, when they get it right in the songwriting in the first half of the record, that's where this band shines. So tell me something you liked about the record, Jay. Yeah, I would agree about the bass and drum um, performances and parts. It, it really carries this record. I also think the vocals are interesting. I mean, sometimes they're more successful than others. Uh-huh. Um, but for the time period especially, you know, I'm hearing a lot of voices and, and things here that, I don't know, to me, feel a little almost ahead of their time. Yeah. Um, 
you know, there's a there's a song where there's like a background vocal. It's kind of like a scream, almost like you would hear in an emo, you know, song. Yep. Ten years later, there's you know some stuff that's um, almost modest mouse mouse like. Yep. Um, kind of a quirky uh, delivery, especially uh, like uh, their version of Octopus sounded a lot like the, that band to me. You know, from that standpoint, you know, there's a sound foundation uh, to build a lot of these songs on with the rhythm section, which always helps. And then there's uh, a singer who has got a variety of deliveries. Most of the time they're successful, sometimes not quite as much. I mean, there's even a song on here where he basically does like a Beastie Boys style rap. Uh, so, yeah. uh, you know, they, he covers a lot of ground. Like I said, sometimes it works, sometimes not as much. The guitars, I, I totally agree. I think there's moments where it really works well. Um, one is uh, Itchy Little House, which is a mm-hmm. mix of acoustic and this really like shimmery picked guitar. Kind of the, the combination of the bass and the guitar really feels like Sunny Day Real Estate to me, which is kind of a cool place for this band to go. So I really like the guitars in that song, but there's other songs like, let's say, Backyard King, where it's just very generic. Um, yeah. I, I kind of wrote down, you know, it almost sounds like, I don't know, like a Red Hot Chili Peppers or Jane's Addiction, like minus the funk or any kind of personality. <laughs> um, just real basic, like, rock rhythm stuff that I think, you know, even the vocal and the the rhythm section can't quite save. Uh, I think there's some other songs where that where they they help elevate things and make them interesting, and the guitars aren't as much of an issue. I mean, there's even some pretty questionable guitar tones on this record. Um, it's not only this the the greatest sounding guitars; they, mm. they sound a little like thin and yeah distant. Um, but the uh, you know those performances by the bass and drums uh, and the songs themselves kind of save it. Uh, so that you don't pay too much attention to it. So yeah, it's a it's kind of a quirky little record. I mean, I don't know if I should say little though. It's sixteen songs, which is yeah, it's, one. it's a long <laughs> record. Sixteen Nature-ish. songs. It's fifty minutes. Yeah, the itchy little house. That to me is one of the highlights of the album. The verses reminded me of like something like uh, Neil Finn would do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it had a very crowded house on that like that record that we reviewed last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, feel to it. Not the whole song, but just like the the verses and the it's they're kind of they're melodic, but they're broken in the rhythm and had a, it was an interesting interplay as far as that goes. And you mentioned about you know the Beastie Boy Beastie Boy style rapping um, that's on Ruth's advice, which thankfully is only forty one seconds long. But there are some like spoken word type stuff that goes on in yeah. the last track, Mrs. 
Mrs. Pear's reptile homework that just sounds like it's something that should have been left off. If you're yeah. just especially because it's a 16 track and like I'm hanging around for this. This is the track 16 that you're giving me. Yeah. I don't know. That was that's just there, there's some bullshitty intros too where you're like, come on. Right. <laughs> Get to the song. Most of the songs are, are pretty reasonable in in length. Um, the one song that was confounding to me was um, Bigger Things, which is track 15, mm. which uh, the verses are nothing remarkable. And then it goes into these huge, dramatic choruses that it sounds like like war era U2, like the way he's singing, uh, like Bono just like, you know, yeah. screaming his head off. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where the, I had a little bit of trouble is where on the songs that don't aren't as tightly written mm-hmm. he trying to kind of veers off into like sounding like other people yeah and that to me is where the album starts to like i, I lose my patience with it because he's he clearly didn't really know where to kind of go with this so it's like well kind of sounds like what bono would sing so i'll sing like bono for the song yeah. Or... yeah it's um i like some of the i don't want to see slower but there's darker moodier kind of sounds on the record and songs but Mm -hmm. then yeah there's a song like that which gets to the point of just there's not a whole lot there to work with you know and and i think to your point it's just they they kind of meander you know for four and a half minutes and there's a couple others that are that are like that as well where you're just like like mr blue veins like you know there's this weird circusy music kind of verse and then right there's a chorus that's strong but it kind of comes out of nowhere but just in those verses it's just like where's this going i I was really thrown by the song hammer nails too um in terms of being almost counter to to songs like that and that you know it's pretty tight urgent replacements feeling kind of you know indie rock song right i mean Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty um concise three minutes you know it's got fairly traditional structure you know it's pretty hooky it's one of those you know you get into this record and and that comes up at track four and you're like oh okay this is kind of a curveball i didn't expect to hear right um i think it works but it is it's quite different than than some of the other stuff that i like so i'm a little like conflicted in terms of what what the best version of this band is you know what i mean i would have a hard time producing them to try to figure out like you know, this is what you do. The you know, do do. This is what you are. What you do best. Let's focus on that because I think there's a couple things they do pretty well, and then there's a couple things they don't do very well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What did you think of that that song in particular? I liked it. I, I thought that there's this weird. I don't know how to uh, place it, but there's this weird '80s sound. Yeah, like yeah. alternative. 80s rock sound right that i want to compare it to i'm not not like sure exactly which particular band to compare it to because i hear like little tiny snippets of all sorts of either like new wave or australian stuff or occasional hear like you know the real like up-tempo rem from the 80s right or um Every once like in a while, like midnight oil, midnight or midnight oil was one. Yeah, like there's these weird little like bits and pieces of various you know '80s alternative rock, and you're just like, I guess because this is you know this is written and recorded in the late '80s, 
that it's going to have those influences. It's just so all over the place. It's hard to like just grasp what's going on. It's it's basically like it's almost like three albums in one when you yeah. when you kind of try to break it down. There's just, there are these like three minute long alternative rock eighties you know kind of catchy pop songs, and then there's a couple of like blues and metal riffing songs like uh backyard king you mentioned an anti-hero has like a real yeah. metal riff that could have been on you know uh, uh sleaze bees album or something like that and then uh there's sleaze bees <laughs> <laughs> whoa okay i don't know i just pulled that one out of my ass you know maybe taiketto I mean... uh, no no <laughs> No, and this would be a Taikato rough. Okay. Uh and then and then you know, you got your weird like you know, you could put Mrs. Pear's Reptile Homework and Mr. Blue Veins and Ruth's Advice and Willpower and the Sticky Green, that like f- manic kind of country song. Yeah. It's a anti Bush <laughs> senior song. You could put them all on their own weird little EP and that would be its own yeah. thing. Yeah, and those are the songs that I, I don't know. I, I just I struggled with those. One song like that on a record would be fine, but when you've got sixteen songs and there's five or six that are like that, uh, it yeah. becomes a bit much. And I think to tie this back to to Crawford's previous pick of the Cardiacs, I never felt like the Cardiacs were like joking. Like yeah. to me, it was all like theatrical in mm-hmm. in the, in their approach to the weirdness. Where in, in this, I feel like there's some sort of joke being played on some of these songs. Well, I also or, or just like I goofing like around. The, the Cardiacs knew exactly who they were, and they were consistent in that they applied that to every song. Right. Uh, you're right. I mean, it wasn't like one song was a country song and the next song was a rap song and the next song was like, you know, a weird spoken word thing and the next song was a Pink Floyd cover. You know, it was they were consistently, you know, who they were on every song, even though each song would have a lot of different, you know, parts and, and right. styles and whatnot. So, yeah, I think that's to me where whenever I review records that I listen to records that are eclectic in that way where per song you know they just totally go and go in different directions i start to question it. it's difficult to do that you know um i think you know every album it's nice to have a turn here or there but you got to be careful about how many you do and how well you can pull them off you, you know what i mean so right yeah i think here there there's some that are they're more successful than others agreed so let's talk about our overall ratings on this album, Jay. Worthy album, better EP, or decent single. Where do you lie on the uh, spectrum for Thrum Drone by Carnival Art? Well, it's tough because I got seven, eight songs on here that that I like. Um, 
unfortunately, there's 16 on the yeah. record, so there's nine more that I don't. So, I mean, yeah, you could with the I could I could make a 10 song record out of this that I think would be pretty strong, mm-hmm. and could say you know it's a worthy record. And unfortunately, there's six more songs here that if I'm going to say it's a worthy record, that you still have to listen to. Um, if that makes sense. So yeah, I'm going to go with an EP, but a really to, long one. In, yeah, in the spirit of you know. Uh, the idea that it's not complete, it's not strong all the way through. Yeah, I'm a little harsher. I'm at about five songs, I think, that I would I would put onto an EP. Uh, that would five or six. I could I could probably squeeze one more. Um, I'm I'm a little bit like with Blind, the opening track. That's the one I think you're referencing with the screaming in the background. Mm. Um, sometimes it bothers me, and sometimes I can kind of accept it also has like this weird church organ thing that i don't love like it just kind of sticks out a little bit like a sore thumb on that song oh, yeah. so not sure I, I i'm at like five and a half with, with that song so i'm at a more of an ep when it comes to uh thrum drone so that they is were, our what they were way ahead on the drone thing yes little they know how popular drones would be <laughs> there you go this album art looks familiar. I, I'm keep meaning to look up and see who did it, and doesn't it? Looks like something. Somebody, I think somebody referenced it. Uh, is it King Crimson has a cover like this? Yeah, I don't know if it's by the same guy who did that artwork or not, or would not be surprised. I don't know. Let's call Brian Bell and ask. Uh, so, want to remind everyone uh, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. You can join the discussion about this album now that it's live for you to hear over at our Facebook page and Twitter and digmeoutpodcast.com. And of course, you can support the podcast by either selecting a requested review for the 2016 season over at digmeoutpodcast.com on a request review page, or you can subscribe at Patreon. For behind-the-scenes votes, join our quote-unquote board of directors, as Jay liked to refer to it as, uh, to help us select albums, leave feedback so you can be included on upcoming shows, and learn about what we'll be reviewing and who we'll be interviewing on future episodes. So that's it, Jay. Episode number one for season six of 2016 is in the books. Good times. You got nothing to say? Uh, no, I'm I'm just wallowing in the in the Browns' uh, disasters. Oh, yeah. Well, at least you had the you know the intestinal fortitude to lose out at the end of the season. The Bills decided to, <laughs> for some reason, try to make it 500 yeah. and yeah, beat a bunch of get. teams. Once yeah, they were well, I was expecting them to blow that, but then the history is that they blow the picks anyway. So true. We would be we'd be breaking a major trend there to uh, do otherwise. So we'll see. Uh, so that's it. Uh, like you've heard probably previously, every other season when we start at the beginning of every season, our teams have collect have uh, each uh, sucked as usual. So we'll be heading into uh, the next season with high draft picks and low expectations. <laughs> Uh, So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. 
You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash digmeout or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com.